0: Good morning. Good morning. I am reluctant to use the pulpit to speak about secular events like the Super Bowl. <laughs> but I think there might be some help in that this morning, to, to use this particular time to uh, talk about things we might not talk about at other times. I, you know that there are some aspects of the Super Bowl that we could learn something from God about. Did you know that? That's my task this morning, I'm going to try to tie the Super Bowl in with some spiritual truths uh, that hopefully you can take with you today and as you remember them uh, this evening while you're watching the Super Bowl, uh, I'm hoping maybe, just maybe you might have something uh, to take with you the rest of the week. So anyway, I will do my best uh, to do that. The good reason to do that is, we have Super Bowl every year, but one of the good reasons to do that is because we know that one of those teams uh, is the Philadelphia Eagles, of course, and you know their hometown is just miles away from here. So I don't want to be called out uh, sometime in the rest of the week about not speaking about the Super Bowl. So um, I'm trying to cover my own tracks, too. A few random fun facts for you before we begin. Do you know that the Super Bowl referee makes about fifty thousand dollars in just this one game? <clears throat> are you in the right? Uh, you in the right job? Do you do the right profession? I don't know. <laughs> Each of the rings that the players get uh, when they win this, when they uh, win the Super Bowl, costs between thirty and fifty thousand dollars apiece. And the price tag for a 30-second commercial tonight is a whopping $7 million. So I'm hoping that goes uh, a long way because I know commercials are a big part of the Super Bowl, too. So uh, hopefully uh, that $7 million will be worth it. But get this, if you went to Arizona and sat in the stadium tonight, Forbes reports that you would pay, on average, um, hold on to the person next to you because this is amazing, $9,000 a ticket on average. $9,000. There's a reason I don't go to the Super Bowl. Probably you <laughs> do not go to the Super Bowl either too. In 1967, that was the year the first Super Bowl took place, guess how much a seat cost? <clears throat> $12. We went from $12 to 9000 in that length of time. So much money, you know this, so much money, so much time, energy, uh, attention is all given towards this two or three hour event. And then it's done for another year. I just wonder, it begs the question, in my mind, it always begs the question on Super Bowl Sunday, if people around the world just gave that amount of money and time and attention to To their Christian life the way they would give attention to the Super Bowl, I just wonder what life would look like. How, how different would the world look uh, if that were the case? I know that's extremely pie-in-the-sky thinking, but it begs the question anyway. Maybe it's something for us to think about. In an effort to attract the unchurched around the Super Bowl time, some churches have considered using football terms to describe what happens occasionally on a Sunday morning. For example, an extra point is what you receive when you tell the preacher his sermon was too short. (laughs) Illegal motion occurs when someone leaves before the benediction. The two-minute warning happens as people realize the service is almost over, And they begin to gather up their children and their belongings. How about this one? Staying in the pocket. That's referring to the quarterback who stands their ground when they're making a play. It's important to stay in the pocket. But when it comes to church, uh, that's what happens to a lot of money that should be put in the offering plate. (laughs) Sudden death. What happens to the attention span of the congregation if the preacher goes overtime? And blocking occurs as people talk endlessly to the pastors at the church door, which keeps everyone else from exiting. (laughs) I'm sure you could find a bunch more out there, but um, I'll spare you. uh, Perhaps a better way to relate this particular day and what we're anticipating to some important lessons about God and life is to go to Scripture, and we'll do that. In just a moment but before we look at both of these scriptures uh, that Karen read let's identify the goal of each of the teams involved in a football game first of all to be sure each team wants to win how do they win by getting the ball into the end zone all the striving and the battling that is done is for the ultimate purpose of getting the ball there if you have the football And you want to get it there as many times as possible. So the team that gets there most often is the team that wins. All of the other stuff about the game, the timeouts, the penalties, uh, the commentary, all the various plays, everything that goes on is a means to an end. It's the end zone. That's the important place of the football game. That is the goal. How do you get the ball into the end zone? Well, there are a couple ways to do it, but most often you can't get around it. There's a lot of running that takes place. Um, Even if a receiver goes into the end zone and catches a pass, they had to get there first by running. There's no way you can get around that. There'll be a lot of running and you'll see that tonight as you watch the game. And I think the analogy to the Christian life is easy to make. Sports in general, makes a good metaphor for life, and that's why Paul uses them. But life, we know, is no game. As Christians, our life consists of an end zone as well. Do you know what it is? What's our end zone? Our end zone is death? Life, heaven, okay, heaven, you said heaven. I thought you said death, I said that's pretty morbid. But no, it's, it's life, it's eternal life, that's our end zone. And it's given as a gift, and while it is given as a gift, we accept our responsibility, or should, to live life with the end zone in mind. Our goal is to receive the crown God has prepared, and we struggle and we fight our way toward it in our daily living. It takes some figurative running. Paul encourages us in this first scripture to run to win. And as much as these two teams will use their training and discipline to win a trophy and some bragging rights for the year, how much more should we do the same to win an eternal prize? Paul says he runs with purpose in every step, and that is not shadow boxing, Again, another reference to another sport. What he means is that running to win the prize is a very serious thing. He's not fooling around. He's just not beating the air, and that might be said in other scripture um, translations as well. The message paraphrase says it this way. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving in everything I've got. No lazy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. Our purpose is the same our purpose is the end zone I believe it was pastor Rick Warren in the purpose-driven life I think uh, most of us have read that I know the church has been through um, that particular book but he said in that book that our lives right now are just an opportunity to practice what we'll be doing in heaven for eternity and if that's true Then it makes sense to use our days as effectively as possible, to strive to live each day with eternity in mind. We know that that's sometimes a challenge for us, but Paul is giving us the encouragement we need to stay focused and keep moving toward the goal that is eternal life. The question for us to think about this morning is what does end zone living look like? Just how do we do that? Back to the football metaphor. In the process of trying to score, the offense has to make progress. They have four chances to move the ball 10 yards. And if they make it, they do it again and again until they get to the end zone. And if they fail, the other team gets the ball. Occasionally, the team who has the ball gains significant yardage and makes a lot of progress in one play but it is much more likely that with each try, there is only a small gain. Not to worry, with enough of those small gains, which include significant struggle and energy, progress is made. End zone living happens exactly the same way. Sometimes, but not so often in our Christian walk, we make significant and noticeable gains in short periods of time. But it's much more typical that the progress we make only comes after having struggled through the obstacles and problems of everyday life. Sometimes we gain very little yardage. Our faith is constantly challenged. Sometimes we get distracted. We run hard, but the world pushes back even harder. And surely many, if not all of us, have experienced this from time to time our perseverance is sometimes tested. Yet the goal remains the same, just as in 1 Corinthians, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 much of the same thing. He says, run hard and fast in the faith. Seize the eternal life, the life you were called to. And that will take courage. It also takes something else very important. It takes a team. I don't see, as I look around, can't see underneath the choir robes, but uh, nobody's wearing, it's a Philly thing sweatshirt this morning. But we ought to, as Christians, we should have a shirt, we should wear every now and then, that says it's a team thing to remind us what God intends for us as a church. We're not designed for, nor was it intended by God, that we do life on our own. The whole concept of church is something god had planned from the beginning you recall probably the scripture where jesus tells peter that he would be the rock upon which god would build his church so church is not a man-made notion it's not something we came up with it was god's plan all of the time as a believer in jesus christ you are engrafted into the body of christ and all who have made the same commitment become a special and unique part of the body. Also another reference to the church. There are many places in Scripture that attest to this, not just the one in Ephesians, but the second Scripture, the Ephesians Scripture we just heard, is only one example. In it, Paul identifies gifts that certain people bring to the body. In this case, apostles, prophets, evangelists, Pastors and teachers and their respective jobs Yet there are at least a dozen more throughout scripture That speak to this particular issue all with the same purpose to build up the church to make the team as effective as possible Verse 16 in Ephesians says it. Well Paul says he and he means Christ makes the whole body fit together perfectly As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As we individually run toward the goal of eternal life, isn't it good to know that we have others who will come alongside of us? Others who are on our team. Not only that, God has put each of us together because we have specific gifts that strengthen one another as we practice living for eternity. We're not supposed to do it by ourselves. Inevitably, the winners of tonight's game will speak of how it was possible to achieve the goal of becoming the Super Bowl champions. They will reference good coaching and their drive to win, perhaps the desire to reach a personal goal, and others like that, but there is one thing Everyone who is interviewed after that game will say say it's teamwork that got the job done. Can you imagine a quarterback who does not make reference to the team that they have in order to win a game? Um, I think that quarterback would not be very well liked in the locker room when they return, but... It's obvious that without everyone doing what they learned to do and offering their specific skill in the positions that they play on the team, they would not have achieved success. Again, you can make the analogy. Churches also succeed when everyone on the team, everyone, functions the way God had intended. That's all of us. Success can be defined in a couple of different ways when it comes to church But generally what we're talking about is the church that due to every person using the gift They have to offer meets the mission of making disciples Meeting the needs of the community around them and glorifying God generally. That's what the church is about Unfortunately That is a challenge for many churches Some people do not know the gift they have to offer. Some need training in how to use their gift. Some, even though they are members of the church, do not even show up to offer their gifts to the body. And to be sure, we all have the responsibility and the privilege to do that. So if you look around this morning, I think you might see that there are a couple extra places that could be filled with a couple other people on the team, don't you think? <laughs> Lehman carries a very large membership role, and yet only approximately 150 show up on a Sunday morning, that's in three services. And I know there are plenty of reasons that some people can't get to church. Some are very understandable. But you need to know that there are others that are terrible. There are terrible reasons not to come to church. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm also preaching to the proverbial choir because you're all sitting in the pew this morning. So this message is not, this particular part of the message is not exactly for you, um, but it's for the people who are on our team who aren't here. My point is, how can we be an effective team that helps one another run toward the prize when only a portion shows up at the starting line to begin with. The body misses out on being all it can be when the parts of it are missing. However, the church is a very powerful thing when the body, when the whole team is functioning as Jesus intended. We have one another. We make each other better. I hope you've heard that before because that's the way God intended the church to work. Paul outlined the reasons why we should take a team approach to end zone living. With just one more reference uh, to the football analogy first. In every game, there are two teams and they are constantly battling it out. When one team is striving to score, there is another team trying to stop them from scoring. Not occasionally, but all the time. As much energy is being spent trying to keep the ball out of the end zone as there is trying to get it there. In addition to that, and because of that, there are brutal tackles that are taking place, fumbles, interceptions, mispasses, plays that get fouled up, and lots of other ways for things to go wrong. Again, the similarity to life in general and our Christian walk is not hard to understand. I've already mentioned how difficult it is at times to living for the end zone. But add to this fact that there is opposition to us reaching our goal, and we realize easily that we're going to need the rest of the body to help us. Here's what Paul said the opposition looks like in Ephesians. There will be times when we are faced with teaching that is not based on Scripture and will challenge us to stay focused on the truth. There will be people in our lives who may draw us away from what we've been taught, intentionally or unintentionally, and we will need the help of our brothers and sisters to stay on track. Paul says there are forces out there that are pushing against us, that are fighting against us. And if we are to keep growing in Christ and moving toward our goal, then we'll need each other's help. Eternal life is the goal that we have. A commitment to end zone living is the thing that will get us there outside of the grace of God. And teamwork is the God-given way we will win. In using the gifts he gave in the ways he shows We will be effective in standing against the opposition and make it possible to reach the prize. All right, one more brief football analogy. You know that when the team gets into the end zone, there's the one guy with the ball and he does some strange things with the ball and slams it on the ground sometimes and sometimes is football player uh, buddies show up and they do a little dance in the end zone. Have you seen that before? Well, maybe that's reminiscent or may tell us a little bit about how we should feel about reaching our own end zone. There should be joy in that and uh, maybe we can celebrate that uh, together because we celebrate reaching the goal in life we have of being in God's presence uh, forever. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I hope you will enjoy the game tonight. I hope you'll remember some of the things you heard this morning as you enjoy the game tonight. Much more than anything else, I pray you will find great reward in running the race as a Christian and striving toward the goal of life in Christ alongside your brothers and sisters. Of course, there will be times of struggle and challenge, but also moments of blessing and peace. One more thing to remember today as well we know that we have the victory and I'm not just talking about the Eagles I'm talking about us as a people we know we have the victory as Christians because Christ has already been victorious and he waits to give us the crown we anticipate as those who live with the end zone in mind how is your end zone living today just a reminder think about those things please as you watch the game tonight